Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Stephanie Sai is back to tell us about asexuals, demisexuals, and people like herself who masturbate and find creative ways to have sex outside of the kind where a penis goes into any of the major three orifices, though often still sex with men. She calls it her no-three-holes policy. We briefly talk about racism in the criminal system as well as the idea of sexual consent in the Me Too movement. We also touch on ASMR and talk about role plays like boyfriend, husband, or sex in the context of ASMR, as well as functions that ASMR performs like falling asleep, de-stressing, comfort, or love. I'm super interested in maybe making some ASMR content, so let me know if you have any requests. You can reach me at podcast at victorsalmon.com. And as always, if you like the show, please tell a friend. Or even, if you really like the episode, write us a review and help other sex and relationship nerds find us. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with Stephanie Sai, the whorelyvirgin.com. Is that right? Wonderful. Who is a travel vlogger and person who does ASMR and person who identifies as asexual, is that right? I think it depends on my mood that day. I would say... Like some kind of gray sexual more. Gray sexual demi. Sure. Yeah, and I'm more attracted to men. Okay. But that being said, that's because I've yet to meet like a woman, a that woman really... who's like less annoying. In the same way that I... Like, you can be this different kinds of annoying, but if you're the same kinds of annoying... You mean as yourself? Yeah, the same okay, kind of annoying as myself. Yeah, that's the Got self-deprecating you. thing. It's like, I can't handle the same craziness as me. Got maybe you. different craziness, but the same craziness too much. Got you. And maybe that's part of the problem is you attract like people. Mm-hmm. So then I'm just like, forget it. I find guys chiller. Like, this kind of conversation, mm-hmm. in my experience, I've had a an easier time talking to men about it than women. Sure. You, I mean, you also have training as an engineer, don't you? Yes, that, that so does make like a difference. So you have, like, a lot of the analytical thought processes yes. that tend to be more socialized as, like, a masculine thing. Yes. Yeah. I definitely do. Yeah. But cool. that being said, I think I've met some people, and again, I always default to this just by nature, like, the whole masculine-feminine thing. Sure. But I do think it's, like, I guess you could call it a spectrum. Or if we totally. were just to call it, like, label A, label B. Sure. To take out the connotations that sometimes sure. it has. Yep. I just find that I vibe more with label A than label B. Sure. And whatever you define as label A is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's worked out pretty well for me so far. But, it, yeah, it's something I question a lot because I use myself as a psychological case. Like, am I really asexual? A lot of people, they do the thing where, oh, you'll turn a certain age, which I've already turned and passed, where you'll (laughs) want kids and you'll want this and you'll want that. And I'm like, as much as 
we were talking about before being open-minded to ideas i think sometimes it's also good to like know yourself well enough especially if you've tested yourself like mm-hmm. i've approached my sexuality like a scientist mm-hmm. and i've done all the different things up to the actual fucking like my yep. no three holes rule yep and for whatever reason the three hole stuff just doesn't interest me you're again talking about oral anal yeah, vaginal yeah, yeah, with exactly. the penis specifically. with the penis ex- yeah specifically and it just hasn't interested me i'm not saying that it never would but i just haven't come across a situation where let's say i was in a kink fetish situation where i was like oh i really need a dick in me now like it's never happened right it's always been i i'm having a lot of fun with what we're coming up with outside of that mm-hmm. and i like the creativity there's so much you can do outside of that yeah it is do you want to talk about some of the more creative or fun sexy situations you've been in that were all holes barred yeah 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 that that'd be a lot of fun i've actually gotten myself into some looking back and having feedback from others like Mm -hmm. legitimately probably dangerous situations Mm. but this is one where i'm gonna get mystical on you okay i feel like i'm a decent read on like absolute homicidal crazy okay so i've had to assess people and i've done a lot of kink while i've traveled like in a split second i sort of have a rough idea like is this even a person who's in the realm of being able to to kink safely right and that's like the first level. And sure. then second level would be, and this happens, second level happens with anyone anyways, but depends on the response to the second level is if we'll progress. So I'll talk about literally my kink fetish stories because they're good adventure stories. Mm-hmm. They're just good adventure stories. And then depending on how the person reacts is how I'll know. So there are some people where like I happen to meet a couple of kinksters on the road and you sort of know with the like language that they're using like they might not be s- strictly like rack or know all the acronyms or even sure. i'm bad with that sure but you sort of understand that okay you said three holes barred and they're right. cool with that that's actually the big selecting factor right. like if they want that penetrative sex they're gone right and then afterwards you just have to vibe with them talk with them and um honestly i think there are a lot fewer homicidal people than people think mm-hmm. like they always jump to the ha- like murder and w- rape and whatever right and i've never been in a situation that's even been close because i set the tone and i've said and this is a, a terrible story for me to say but somehow it's worked for me i say it sort of jokingly but really i'm like you know honestly if a guy was gonna rape me he's has to kill me too because i'm not the kind of person who's going to keep my mouth shut i think i think there are two parts that i would challenge in that story okay and one of them would be the because Mm -hmm. it's really easy to say i have a rock to sell you that keeps tigers away yeah and someone says well how do i know it keeps tigers away and you go well i don't see any tigers around yeah um right so saying Mm -hmm. that like the specific reason why it's never happened for you is because Mm -hmm. you set the tone Mm -hmm. could be read by some people as victim blaming even Mm -hmm. though i know that's not your intention yeah um or i would give you the benefit of the doubt to assume that's not your intention Mm -hmm. um and the second piece um was the idea of what we talking about oh right that um that they must murder you because you're loud Mm -hmm. um there are scenarios where that may not, where that may not hold true, where that's a requirement. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I'm also trying to balance the notion that like, it's not useful to have anxiety all of the time. Yeah. And if it's 
allowing you to live your best life to feel confident. I don't want to undermine the things that give you confidence. I think it's been a difficult one because I've gone back and forth on it. I'm happy that you brought up the victim blaming because that's actually a tricky scenario that I get myself into a lot because I'm so out there in expressing myself. Mm. All I know is that for me, I feel like they have no room to say anything counter to what I'm so obviously open about or closed right. about. Like I've said it you many said different ways to Sunday, three holes are barred. If you cross that line, it is rape. Yeah. Anything else is not. I have literally lawyered the shit out of this situation. So there's no way that I would ever, let's say, get into a situation and then be like, oh, fuck, I regret. I regret right, just it. be unclear. Yeah. Like, yeah. you feel like you're extremely clear. Yeah, I'm clear to the point where I myself could never feel like I was taken advantage of. And I feel like because there's just no way to interpret, at least from my point of view, there's no mm. way to interpret it. I come at it with this sense of confidence. Right. And... The problem that I've seen with people sometimes is that I've heard cases like this, and this one really bothers me, where a woman will say, you know, I didn't want to suck his dick or whatever, but he was my couch surfing host, so I felt bad saying no. Mm -hmm. But nothing in the story says that the guy forced them. Mm -hmm. Nothing about the story says the guy did anything untowards toward them. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. they felt the social story is that a man's hard... And you're the cause of it. You suck his dick or you do whatever. And I feel like that narrative bothers me mm -hmm. because I've heard that narrative a lot, which is, you know, honestly, though, if you're with a guy, like, what are you going to expect if he's hard? How do you get out of the situation? You'll be like, well, I don't I'm sorry. Like, this is not what I want to be like. I'll even reiterate, like, that's why I say all three holes barred. But of course, you. I've had a situation where one guy where I was very clear with him, he was like, you know, you're getting yourself into a lot of potential trouble by saying that because some guys might think you're playing hard to get and i looked him in the eye and i said thanks for clarifying that for me but i'm gonna tell you like right now a hundred percent this is not happening like you're not sticking because he wanted to do something like we had been kinking and i think he wanted to escalate into one of those areas and i refused him several times and then he said the fact that you are willing to go into all these areas, but not this one, like you're going to get yourself into trouble one of these days. And I took it as at that time, he was mad that we weren't doing it. But to give him also the benefit of the doubt, he maybe was just trying to warn me about it. I think those are super dangerous behaviors, not for you, but yeah. for him. Like the fact that he didn't take no for an answer, the fact that he negotiated while you were already potentially sub high, like mm -hmm. he didn't know how high you were going to get from play. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that he semi-threatened you, mm -hmm. um, slash warned you after not taking no for an answer like a, for a lot of people especially if they have any trauma of like sexual assault like they're not gonna have access to a thinking brain at that point hmm. like they aren't competent to make decisions that's an interesting one i that also like to insert as a side note but maybe this is important like i'm straight edge so mm. i don't do any drugs or drinking it's not that i'm against it morally but you also play and for some yes. people that is a drug that is true i have felt though for me that i'm pretty good at keeping things separate sure like there have been times where if i were like an objective person looking at the scenario i'm in sure i'd be like fuck like i don't know how that person has been able to have an iron will to say no right but then i take that as okay i obviously really don't want it because in every single scenario sure. regardless of how hot i've been getting as a sub or the sub high i've been like i don't want this and 
I don't know if the guy pushes because he's thinking, oh, she's on a sub high, or maybe it's just the natural flow of the way he thinks it's going. But yes, I've had to reiterate myself and reassert myself a couple of times, and I never thought of it as being something potentially troubling until you just brought it up. And like, now I can see like why. negotiating in scene yeah. is negotiating yes. with someone who's potentially under the influence. Yes, that's true. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. Yeah. I mean, and for in your case, like you're demonstrating that clearly you have access to your no. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, who's to tell you that's not consensual? Absolutely. Negotiate in scene if you want to. That's a risk profile thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, this is within my risk profile, I know that I'm competent to like give consent, do it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone has the right to draw a line mm-hmm. saying this isn't consent or this is absolutely consent. Mm-hmm. So I think the issue I have with a lot of those stories is folks will say like, oh, well, you know, she didn't say no. Hmm. Okay. And it's like, should someone have to say no to give consent? Or rather, should an absence of a no be taken as consent? And I don't think it should. I think that this is coming from two points of view. So let's say as a woman, Mm. I want to arm women with the no in their arsenal. Definitely. Not that it has to be expected in every case, but it's something where, like, let's say if the if the butter knife isn't working, you want to use, like, the whatever, serrated steak, steel. Steak knife. Yeah, or yeah. whatever. And you just want to keep escalating. And I would say a no is a tool in your arsenal. And it's one that I use competently myself. And I think it's a tool that women could use. Actually, sure. I'd like more of them to use it. Sure. But that's also not saying that every woman would be able to or feels comfortable using it. And it actually touches on what you were saying earlier, that it isn't so much about the individual thing you're looking at, but the causes behind it. Yes. It's not about, did a woman say no? Yeah. I think a lot of it that's very interesting is like, why did a woman feel unsafe to say no? Mm-hmm. Um, or did she feel unsafe at all? Right? Because there are obviously going to be different scenarios. I think with the Aziz Ansari, if you remember mm-hmm. his story. I did not follow Aziz Ansari's okay. story. There have been some where they claim that the women like, had regret mm-hmm. and then sort of, whether consciously or unconsciously, like sort of remolded it as a Me Too movement for sympathy or whatever they're trying to gain. And What were they trying to gain? People think that victims are some, let's say maybe not victims would be using it to either gain sympathy, power, or just to ruin a man's career. Let's I guess say. I guess typically people have a motive. Like, even yeah. in the case of rape or a crime, typically there's a motive. Mm-hmm. So until I saw a motive, I would be... I would think that the burden of proof would be on someone to prove that someone's trying to do that. You mean the burden of proof is on her to prove that it's a rape or the other No, I around? just mean if people are accusing someone yes. of doing it for quote-unquote attention, it's like, okay, what are you basing that on? I think they're basing it on... Because we already assume Mm -hmm. that people who are sexual assault survivors, um, that there's no consequence for that unless they can prove they're sexual assault survivors. Mm -hmm. But there's no consequence. Well, there is if you can prove that they're a sexual assault survivor. You mean negative or positive? Oh, okay. Maybe that's the wrong word to use. Like, so if you can prove sexual assault happened, yeah, then there's consequences for the person who assaulted you. Yeah. Okay. How about for the person who accused? I mean, there's always consequences if you're the person accused. I mean, there's consequences on both sides for both parties. Yeah, I suppose that's true. But then the question would be, if you're doing that sort of thing, I understand where they're saying, for example, innocent till proven guilty. Sure. Right? So then if someone accuses someone else of sexual assault, it's incumbent upon the person accusing to prove. Sure. But then the question with the burden of proof in sexual assaults is it's so 
high. Well, because it's criminal. If it yes. were if it were civil law mm -hmm. and you were suing someone for counseling related to them sexually assaulting you, mm -hmm. um, I think the burden of proof would just be a balance of probability standard, as is consistent with all of civil law. But then do people usually bring these to civil law cases or are they going for the criminal? I, I think they usually go for the criminal because of the way the police handle onboarding survivors into mm. the system. Mm -hmm. I think suing for counseling and other measures, yeah. if you have a higher probability of getting a win in court, mm -hmm. it's, I think, just as significant yes. personally, I think. But there would be no jail time, right? And to be honest, is jail time rehabilitative for people who commit sexual assault? I don't know. That's I think question, I think yeah. just the fear of being accused and maybe going to jail is enough, hopefully, to help people maybe be a little more considerate and careful. Mm -hmm. um, so even though a lot of these cases may be, you know, um, I don't want to say failed, but not successful in convicting someone yeah. of sexual assault. I mean, a non-conviction also doesn't say that it didn't happen. It just says that we weren't able to rise to that incredible standard. Yes. Um, and I think there are better ways to handle it. Like the fact that we're even looking at this um, through a criminal lens is I think like not ideal. And there are a lot of cases that don't necessarily, I mean, sure there are ones that do need to go to the criminal system, yeah. definitely, mm -hmm. but there are also gonna be ones that don't need to go to the criminal system. And there are gonna be people who don't have access to the criminal system. So mm -hmm. people of color, indigenous folks, yeah. Um, there's so much racism in our in our system that you can't get a fair trial as a non-white person. Mm -hmm. Certainly not the same trial as a white person would get. Mm -hmm. And that's so obvious if you look at any of the statistics. Like, do you know, in the youth system, for youth incarceration in um, Saskatchewan, do you, do you know what the rates of incarceration are? Because I think, how many... I don't... Hmm, I'm pretty sure... I should look at the percentage demographic of Indigenous folks in Canada. I'll do that right now. But take a guess at what percentage of the incarcerated population you think is Indigenous. My guess would be like 70. I'm just going to look at demographics before I answer that. Indigenous peoples in Canada make up, I think, 7.7%. No, 4.9% of the Canadian population in 2016. So assuming there's the same rate of teenagers like and, and youth, because we're talking about people incarcerated under the age of majority, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so it's 4.9% of the general population for all adults. Mm -hmm. And assuming that there's the same rate of teenagers, which there may not be, mm -hmm. um, it was 81% of the incarcerated teenagers that were boys and 82% that were girls. What do you think it was for Manitoba? <laughs> 90 plus? Yeah, it was 92% for boys and 98% for girls. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's if, just oh, crazy. If, if the population generally is about 4.9% across Canada, and you know what, that's not fair because um, it, it doesn't take into account that there may be a difference in demographics prov province by province. So I wonder if I can find you a better comparison. Demographics and classification, great. So in Manitoba, Indigenous folks make up 18%. And in Saskatchewan, they make up 16.3%. So I was right. So it's less. Mm -hmm. But if you make up 18% of the population and of the incarcerated girls, you make up 98% of the population, that says something about you. That says something about the system that you're using. And that says something about the people making decisions as to who goes into that system. I think if we're going back to like the root of problems, mm. I would say 
and this is going to come off looking very religiously conservative for someone who's like an agnostic mm -hmm. but like i think we have to think about the role of sex in our lives sure because people who are having sex as young as they are probably just don't have the mental emotional spiritual capacity to understand what they're doing sure. and it's something obviously biology betrays us because yeah. we were built to have kids when we're essentially kids that's just the way our puberty system works right mm -hmm. and now we're operating in a different environment mm -hmm. that's at odds with the biological imperative you would say right so i don't think we're going to walk around saying it's good for 12 year old girls to be pregnant sure but okay we have this biological imperative that's sort of helping drive that right. urge that's encouraging us to screw each other exactly but then the question becomes when we're educating people about it, are we maybe having that balance between assuming that people are probably going to have some sort of sexual activity, but then also understanding that with that activity comes responsibility, regardless mm. of what you think. Like, you might be a 12-year-old girl who's interested in it, but in, in some ways you're maybe even too young to understand what the consequences are. Yeah. Yeah. 12 year olds of regardless of gender or anything else yeah. is like, yeah, bringing a life into the world is really significant. And you're not equipped to do that when you're going to be giving birth at 13, 14, 15. Like, yeah. But even, I mean, even up to your I mean, that's 19, just my... early 20s, sure. like there's, there's so much at stake. And sure. I think part of the problem is that sexual liberation, I agree with it 100%, but I think more for people who have the mental capacity to understand what they're doing. Sure. When sure. you have almost like kids who can't even, from a legal standpoint, be considered capacitated right. enough to enter a contract. Like literally they don't yeah. have capacity to consent to yeah. sex either. Exactly. Like 12 is too young. Unless, yeah. actually that's not true, is it? It is true, right? 12 is too young to have sex in Canada? Or I... is 12 only too young if you're over 14? I can't remember what the rule is. There's some, there's some, but let's say, let's take Six, the example. 16 like, and up is legal in Canada. Let's say, let's take the example of even two 16 year olds or sure. two 15 year olds. Sure. It's like, do you think they know enough to make a good decision? Sure. So are we educating enough them on the responsibilities? Not going so far as like, do, like, you know, sex is bad or whatever in that religious sense. Don't mm -hmm. do it because God told you not or whatever right, they right. used to tell people. It's right. more like, listen, have you ever been able to take care of yourself financially mm, for a day mm. actually one of my sex ed teachers told me a really funny story she said if you wouldn't be willing to spend like a hundred dollars as a gift on a guy because you genuinely like him you probably shouldn't put his dick in your mouth <laughs> and i laugh because i'm like i have never met anybody that i wanted to spend a hundred dollars on other than like my mom or my brother and i would highly like discourage you from putting anyone's dick in your mouth that's yeah. family <laughs> Exactly. I'm highly discouraged. <laughs> so then the, the question becomes, I understand that we want to be free in society to say, you know, yeah, you're welcome to have sex if you want to, but you have to have the mental capacity to understand what it is. And sure. these kids, are they too young? And what do we do about that? Right, because ultimately telling them not to do it is not going to be yeah. effective. So it comes back to how do you educate? Yeah. How do you encourage them to see it as in their best 
interest, their own interest not mm -hmm. to do so. Yeah, exactly. Unless you feel genuinely like you know what the outcomes are. Right. Like, you'd be surprised how many adults were just like, I didn't know how I was going to have this baby. I'm like, you didn't use contraceptives, so you knew. No, well, I didn't think it would happen to me. And I'm just like... This is a failure of education. Yeah, it is. Or is it people just trying to justify their base instincts. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know what it is. And, mm -hmm. and that, that one's tough because if people are going to just rationalize their base instincts, right. then how are you going to educate them against something that's so intrinsic in them? I this mean, is where I have a trouble because I don't have that intrinsic drive, so I don't understand what it's like. I honestly don't think it's as it's as uncontainable or, or mm. unsuppressible as people think. Uh -huh. I mean, if you look at how successful suppression of sexuality has been oh, in more true. puritanical culture, yeah, that's true. Um, it tends to come out in different ways because yes. they are natural human drives. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the human drive for uh, for some 12 year olds but more for like say 15 16 like mm -hmm. he's an example mm -hmm. um for teenagers that want to have sex i think that drive is not to have children it's just to have sex and if we empower kids with the tools and the knowledge to make good decisions and to have you know contraceptives they're probably not going to get pregnant as often at least you know what really worked for me masturbation and i know this is going to yeah. sound really funny but it's like i learned about it when i was climbing on couches like sure. i rubbed up it the wrong way at age six yeah. and back then i didn't even know what the fuck it was but i was yeah. like oh this is amazing i always joke that you know that i was going to be some sort of creative or a writer because i described that feeling as the tickle of truth like that's, that's what i called it adorable it's like the tickle of truth but then you know, you're not you're the first like, person I've heard that said really? that. Wow. I've, I've heard other women talk about like, you know, they, they rubbed their thighs together mm -hmm. and they didn't know what, what yeah. they were, what it was, yeah. but they just rubbed their thighs together because it felt good. Yeah. It's like tickle of truth. And I was just doing it everywhere. And my mom to be fair to her, she was just like, okay, in the house, whatever, ignore me. But then there was one day where she happened upon me in the car. Like she left me to go buy groceries or something, something very quick. And then when she came back, she was, I was like, Ugh. and then she's like, <laughs> Stephanie, not in public. Right. So fair enough to her. Like she was very forward thinking. And then this is where I got a little bit fucked up. Although I'm agnostic, I spent one year, I think in like Catholic school for some weird reason. And somehow I don't know how it got browbeaten into me that masturbation was bad. Mm. And then when I returned to public school, I had a friend of mine, I think we maybe were like in grade four or five, mm -hmm. where we were talking about the sex ed class we just had. And mm -hmm. I think this is the worst thing I've ever done to another human being. She disclosed to me like, oh, you know that masturbation thing that they're talking about? I'm like, I do that. And I'm like, oh, me too. And then the next day in class when we were having a discussion, oh, I was no. like, guess who does that masturbation thing? This girl right here. Not pointing to myself, pointing to her. That's like the worst thing. I like, when I think back to it as a person, I think Ouch. one of the worst things I've ever done to another In human. a Catholic school. And she was probably... No, this was when I went back to a public school, but oh, then I had okay. had the one year of who knows weird indoctrination. Right, right. And I actually went through like a whole year where I didn't masturbate. Wow. I think when I was 12 and it was the worst year of my life. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, so that's why when I realized, like, oh, well, forget what they're saying. It feels too good to care about whatever it was at the time. Right. Then when I integrated it back into my life, I was just like, oh, well, I mean, this this makes total sense. And mm -hmm. then when people ask me, how have you been able to have, I guess, some semblance of control over that? And I'm like, well, it's because I took care of it. Like, there was right. no right. need to have it externally met. Right, because you were meeting all of your own sexual needs. Yeah. And I think that if you just had that option out there for children to think like, you know what? Yeah, you're feeling some weird feelings. You can actually relieve some of those yourself. 
give mm-hmm. it a try. Mm-hmm. If after that you still feel like you want to, you know, do it with someone else, here's sort of like the structure that we can give you, contraceptives, all that. But like, mm-hmm. here's a ton of options. Masturbation being one of many that you could consider Mm -hmm. for me i say it because it worked for me or worked uh, however you want to say worked some people might argue like you took the sex drive right out of it because you met it all yourself right right but uh is it is it is that bad problem yeah that's the thing i've always been wondering like i treat myself as a psychological case in the sense that i have such an interesting perspective on sex but i don't know that i'll ever quote unquote come to a resolution about it Mm. like i've always been comfortable to just be what i am and I mean, if one day that means that I do have sex, then I do. But if sure. I don't, I also don't. Yeah. I've also felt that I'm quite hard on motivation sometimes. And anything that I can do to stack things in my favor, to do things, I want to use all of that energy to be able to commit to something. And I I sort of feel like having sex with another individual or relationships and that sort of thing is a lot of time invested. Hmm... Mm-hmm. in something that I think I would rather spend the time on something else. So it's yeah. like a pure cost-benefit analysis. Like, I've never met anyone yet where it's been like, oh, I, I think I want to take out more of my days or that- more of my time. Like, something like this sure. stimulates me more than, sure. okay, do you want someone's dick in you? I'm like, right. um, I mean, maybe, but maybe I'd rather have a conversation. Right. And I mean, like, I feel like with sexual acts I don't enjoy, if I did them enough, I could get to a place where I did enjoy them by just sheer association. Mm. But that's a lot of work. Yeah. And some people don't want to do work. Yes. Like, why do you need to do work around sex? You don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can. Yeah. And I find that it's a fun way for me to get my needs met. I really enjoy sex a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of what I enjoy about sex is the mental component. I enjoy what's dirty or shameful about sex Mm. i enjoy what's degrading or or frightening or intimidating about sex i enjoy what's painful or or um different it doesn't necessarily have to be unpleasant even or specifically painful but just like novelty and adventure and trying new things and i like the stories i get Mm -hmm. Um, i like being able to say like yeah i once double fisted someone in the middle of a sex educator fisting competition and we won (laughs) you won okay yeah i never thought i would be able to say that i was in a hotel room fist off (laughs) with other sex educators and that I mean, when I say we won, really, I mean she won. Yeah, but yeah. Um, technically, we were a team. So yeah. technically, I also get the win being the top. Yeah, of course. And in fairness, we had been former partners mm-hmm. and, and still ongoing comment partners. So mm-hmm. we see each other every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd never done double fisting before. Wow. So this was like a brand new thing. And she'd been wanting to do double fisting mm-hmm. for like months and months. Mm-hmm. And we'd never quite gotten there. And I managed to take my time, use lots of lube, and, like, create, in my mind, of course, I perceive myself as being a much bigger part of this than I probably was. But to create some sort of an environment yeah. that was fun, that was competitive, that was enough enough motivation without pushing. Because mm. I knew it was a goal for this person. Mm. And sometimes with fisting, you work with someone on a goal and you get closer. And sometimes you're like... I feel confident that we can make this leap. How do you feel? Hmm. Do you want to give this a shot? Mm-hmm. And the person's like, yeah, go for it. And, you know, you're doing something where you don't know 100% what the consequences are going to be. Yeah. Right? You, this could be really painful. This could cause bleeding or tearing. Mm-hmm. It could be really difficult. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, judging from 
the elasticity of cunts mm -hmm. as I'm familiar yeah, with it. Yeah, you know better than me for sure. <laughs> and judging from this person's body, which yeah. in some ways I'm very intimately familiar with yeah. and that I'm currently at this point wrist deep with one hand. Yeah. And you know, at least two knuckles in with the other. Wow, that's a um, lot. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but when the first fist is all the way inside, you're only competing with a wrist to get the second fist in. Yeah. I, <laughs> only, only, <laughs> only, only. Um, and I do have like little wrists compared to a lot of That's assigned true. male at birth yeah, humans, yeah. but typically my wrists are still bigger than most assigned female at birth humans. I think. Depend. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mine are I much mean, larger than yours. But I'm also tiny too. So. Sure. Yeah. I can get, wow. That's an interesting story. I think I also enjoy all of those aspects that you just mentioned too. But in like non-dick in things. Yeah, yeah. There's something about like, for example, I, I feel much more comfortable. And even as I slammed all women and said they were annoying, I would sure. actually prefer to have a sexual encounter with them, like an actual me eating them out or whatever. I'd rather eat out a cunt than a than in suck like, on a dick. Like suck on a dick. I don't know why it is. How do you feel about strap-ons? I'm just curious, like, if that makes a difference. If it's the realisticness of the dick, or is it like the bio sort of aspect to a dick? That's an interesting question because you're probably like the third person who's gone into that, especially if it's a man wearing the strap-on, sure. where his dick is literally in the strap-on dick. So technically his dick is in you, but not touching you. Right. So then I was just like, that's But that's the same with a condom. It's yes. in you, but not touching you, well, but it's no less. Like, you feel it pretty... Even with a with a strap-on, though? I mean, the... No, I just mean yeah. the, the dick not touching you could happen with a yeah, condom. Yeah, yeah, with a condom, but then I think with the strap-on, it's thicker. So then oh, you, you wouldn't even feel you it. You wouldn't even feel that there's a dick in the strap-on, but technically his dick is in you. So then I'm just like, you right. know, that's an interesting because I've thought about it and that even though mechanically it's technically in you, it mm -hmm. bothers me less for some reason, mm -hmm. but it's still not something that would necessarily move me. Also, with how much you practice like a radical sense of independence and self-reliance, mm -hmm. I wonder if there's a dominance component to specifically, in some way, subconsciously even, like yeah. viewing this as like, I'm letting a man dominate me and fuck him. I've thought about that. Although I think that it's to be completely selfish about it, I've gotten so much great art out of not having sex. Mm. Sometimes I'm concerned, like, okay, if I take that leap, I'm not thinking that sex is so monumental that it'll change your outlook and change who you are as a person. Right. But I am afraid in some ways that it would take away your unique perspective. Mm -hmm. And I still feel I have art to create that has to come from this particular perspective. So in some ways, I feel like if I've created all of the art that I feel needs a particular virginal or asexual, whatever perspective you want to call it, mm -hmm. I probably would feel more comfortable because I do like adventure and I take having sex as also an adventure. Yeah. But until I figure out that component of feeling creatively satisfied with everything using this perspective, mm -hmm. then I think that it's still going to be like a question mark for me. Like mm -hmm. the ASMR series that I did, which has been very polarizing, has been the 
best way for me to represent literally like my meta sex stories. I wrote them in like a story form, but they're all 100% realistic. Everything that I describe happened. Mm -hmm. And I use pronouns, so I don't use names in it. People are just referred to as like me, you, him, her. So no names, not even my own name is in it, but it is my story. And even when I put in descriptions about this playlist, I say this is 100% this stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And then I like the ASMR style because it's a, I like the just juxtaposition of like this crazy shit you're doing, but like you're whispering about it. So it's cool. Like I, right. I love that. Right. And I think that it's also par for course really in the ASMR community, because if you look at some of the role plays people do, it's like wacky ass shit but it's not necessarily sex related like mm -hmm. a lot of mm -hmm. for whatever reason if you're you feel relaxed role-playing as an alien doing this or that like some of the stuff that i've seen i've been like interesting you know not really my cup of tea and i'm sure that people who look at my stuff it's like interesting not my cup of tea but for me i use it more as a storytelling creative device that's so cool rather than being like i'm an asm artist right because people have asked me that's the in terms of views, that's the most popular thing aside from animal videos that's on my YouTube. But to be to be an ASMR e artist, like t that part of my website has the most views by far. Got you. So and if I were to double down and narrative go in storytelling yeah, with ASMR, yeah, that has been like I'm not saying it's the most liked thing, but it's the most viewed thing. Sure. And it's the thing that when people ask me, "Are you going to do it again?" It's they ask about that. They don't ask me, "When are you going to?" hang out with Siberian tigers they're always like are you going to come back to this thing right we want to see more ASMR yeah and that's the funny thing is because I've been asked people say like oh well I mean you have some videos that are more disliked than like by large margin right how do that's you feel about so that that's so interesting and I'm like which I'm videos cool are disliked I think every single one of my ASMR videos, I, I maybe have one that has more likes than dislikes but I think a majority of them have more or it's even Really? So if you look at it from a dislike standpoint, it's not liked. Do you think it's disliked because there's sexualized content? I don't know. I, I haven't really been able to figure it out. Well, mostly because I do it for my own creative purposes. So I don't care if they dislike it. But I'd be interested to know why. I, I wonder if arousal gets in the way of an ASMR response. How do you feel about that? I think that... From what I understand, it depends on the person. So I myself don't do the role play stuff when I'm consuming it. Like I like to listen to straight sounds. So nothing that would turn me on. Right. It's just like crinkling plastic, yeah, yeah. crumpling paper, tapping, scratching. Yeah. My favorite is the 3DO mic and they have that little case in between. And because okay. the 3 mic is designed to have the ears, case, right? yeah, the brain case, right? I love the brain case because it actually feels like there's something inside your brain going on because they've modeled it for the ears. That's so then so cool. technology wise, like they sort of copied the mechanics of it. So in theory, if you're scratching in here, it's like something's originating in your head. At least that's how I experience it. Right. Because the so sound is it, yeah. literally coming from, from a point, point in space yeah. that you would never be able to hear in real life. Exactly. So then I love that particular <laughs> trigger. <laughs> that's like so that's my cool. favorite one. Yeah. And I myself literally only consume that one with some other stuff. Like there, there are triggers that I try every once in a while to see if I can recreate it. And I think the key would be 
like for example the left right mics people have figured out how to like play within the space so it feels like something's happening in your brain literally physically in your brain i wonder if i could create sound mm -hmm. even just with the three mics we have i that think would you probably could. emulate that and I think it would be super neat if we could get something that with a scratching sounded like yeah. the brain case. Yeah. And then I could move it through space. So yes. you could feel what it feels like at different points inside of your head. Yes. That, but this is I the nerd. It. This is the nerd in me. We we need to collaborate on this. Yes, I'm yes. so down to record yeah. this. Yeah, oh I love it because I love this trigger so much. Like every time I search up ASMR, right. I'm always using that trigger. Right. Versus like in my own ASMR, I would say I use triggers that help the story along. Like I have vibrators, I vibrate the mic right. and all that stuff. I'm using the whispering, the 3D. Do people dislike vibrators, the sound of vibrators? I think that most people, when they've given me positive compliments, have been they like the sound of the vibrators and they like the sounds that I make that are supposed to help them visualize what's happening. Right. But then... I have also received feedback. I, actually, I've never received a comment that was negative. It's always just been dislikes. People who have actually taken the time to comment have always had positive things to say. But it's a tough uh, It's a tough thing because I've had a friend ask me, like, why don't you just take the series down? Because obviously people don't like it. And I'm like, well, I, I didn't do the series for them. I did right, it for me. Right. And it's half-half. Yeah. And if it's half-half, then the people who do like it are liking content that's widely disliked, which means it's very hard to find the content. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Possibly. That's yeah. one interpretation. It could also be that some people are like, ah, she's trying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's trying, yeah. The me-seeks. Yeah. Well, the thing, though, is that I understand, especially with ASMR, just like your podcast and stuff, right? There mm. are different levels of, like, professionalism. Mm. So, for example, like, I've added what I would call dummy video in a sense sure because I didn't go and actually film, like, a role play. I just did, like, whatever fit enough artistically but wasn't going to be like i need to like rent space to film like this isn't like a film project this is more meant to be audio but because it's youtube i don't like like you could have just like let's say thrown a still up and just had it all run through people do mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. but for me it's like well it's still part of the medium and i want to put in some effort to have video that represents what i'm doing but not to the point where like i'm actually filming like a, a proper asmr role play or whatever I think I'm that affects it. I'm super curious what elements of ASMR um, there are psychologically, in addition to the actual ASMR response, mm -hmm. like how much people like experiencing a feeling of safety and love and comfort and the emotional component behind why the genre is popular. I'm super interested to explore, like, how could you make popular ASMR content that mm -hmm. does real outreach work for people in terms of mental health. Hmm, that's an interesting one. I think a lot of people have commented that definitely ASMR has a lot of mental health benefits to it. Sure. And of course, there's a scientific debate about whether ASMR is even really real. I think if the person it's, subjectively it's experiences it, it's definitely real. real. Yeah, like to there's, them at least, yeah. there's no question in mm -hmm. my mind that ASMR exists because I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. And what it's was like, your experience? so I was just watching an ASMR stream and I was like, what the fuck am I watching? What was the trigger that you're watching or um, scenario? So it was a professional ASMR streamer and mm -hmm. all she does, all she does like every day, she streams six days a week oh. and she streams like eight hours a day, six wow. days a week. And she, I mean, she must That's be dedication. doing, she must be doing well for herself though, yeah, because yeah, when yeah. you're predictable, mm -hmm. your audience comes back. Yeah. 
And so she streams like when people are home from work kind of deal and people will throw her on in the background and just listen to her. She has all of the chat bots set up. She has all of the like, like every monetized system that you could design to make ASMR into a business, she seems to have done. I was really impressed when I saw what she'd, what she'd put into it. Wow. I can't remember who she was though, now that I think about it, because I just stumbled across her and I was listening to her talk on these two really expensive mics because they were different. Um, I don't even know whether it was one of the ones designed for human ears. It probably was, mm -hmm. but she was, she was going through a range of triggers mm -hmm. and then different people were asking her, please go back to this trigger. Oh, like, I'm so close. Wow. Like, please go yeah, back yeah, to this yeah, trigger. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she'd be like, okay, yeah. I'll go back to the crinkles now and give you a little more of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you'd get like all of this really lovely, like compassion. Like mm -hmm. what it came back to was I felt like she had a kind voice mm. and that made me want to stay. And then I started getting, I, I had to ask like, what's ASMR and how does it work? Mm -hmm. And she had no problem explaining it to me and being super like considerate, even though like obviously of all of the people that were watching and there was like probably, geez, I don't know. I want to say the chat room had like a hundred, seemingly like a hundred people or like 50 to a hundred people in it. And uh, yeah, she just explained like what it was, what the sensation felt like. And I was like, regardless of whether I think this is a thing or not, it is certainly enough of a thing that it's got this huge following as a movement right now. And that's not because it's totally hokey. Yeah. Right. Like there's some subjective experience people are having. So I'm like, okay, so even if it's psychosomatic, how do I get myself to a psychosomatic place? I'm like, well, I pretend I'm experiencing it. What would it feel like if I were experiencing exactly what's being described? And then I kind of relaxed into it, reached for those feelings and just focused on the sensation mm -hmm. And it felt very comforting, like a hug. Mm -hmm. Like it very much felt like there was like a lover behind me or like in my bed, like mm -hmm. holding me. It felt very safe. It felt very encouraging. Mm -hmm. And just like this really relaxed, like just de-stress kind of space. And I was like, even without an actual ASMR response, which mm -hmm. supposedly some brains are predisposed to and some are not, mm -hmm. just the de-stressing like, yeah. component alone is worth it. That's enough. But I started feeling tingles. Um, from like a little bit higher than between my traps, like basically the base of my cervical spine, mm -hmm. just kind of tingling a little up my neck. It skipped a bit in my neck and I felt some tingles, almost like a crown on the top of my head, mm -hmm. um, pulsing into a point on top of my head. Wow. I got like the shiver that went from like the crown of like a circle around my head and sort of like tingled in towards the center on the top of my head. And then I felt like a pulse on the back of my neck. And that was pretty much it. Like I had like a couple of small responses. And ever since then, I've been like, I need to go back to ASMR. I really want to explore this. This is such a wonderful, lovely space. Wow. And I would love to be able to create that kind of a nurturing, loving environment for people to de-stress in. We should totally do like a whole podcast in ASMR style. We should definitely do a whole podcast in ASMR style. Yeah. Like, okay. For me, the... The brain trigger, try the one out that, that I sent to you and maybe yeah. if you search ASMR brain case, because for me, it's been always localized in my brain. I've right. never had it trigger anywhere outside of my brain. And it could be because I focus on the triggers that are supposed to be internal in your brain. Right. But yeah, that's the one that I love the most and I fall to sleep with it all the time on. Amazing. Yeah. And I've also tested like other triggers and even though it doesn't give me like the same response, I would still 
sometimes try something different because it just the sounds soothe me like mm-hmm. stuff that other people might find annoying or grating i i tend to like those sounds like the brain case scratching a lot of people f- say the ones who dislike it at least it's like oh my god it's like nails on a chalkboard or something but mm-hmm. i find it doesn't sound like that to me and it definitely gives me all these positive mental health benefits Mm-hmm. I also too think that because you have the other subculture of the role plays that go sort of in these weird wacky directions mm-hmm. that people in the ASMR community have actually a really good creative outlet. So I've used it as a storytelling device, but maybe all the people who are doing role plays to be fair to them, like whatever they're acting out, I'm assuming they had some sort of general script or some scenario that they had that they wanted to execute and mm-hmm. maybe for them it's also like a storytelling device i've always just assumed that for some reason when they do the role plays that they're doing it because other people find it soothing but it could be that other people find it soothing plus they find it's a creative outlet totally yeah um yeah i think what i'm sort of coming to as we sort of have this conversation is this idea that asmr either performs a function Mm -hmm. like helping you fall asleep or helping you Mm de-stress or performs some kind of adventure narrative exploration yeah um which is such a neat idea Mm -hmm. but i think there's a lot of stigma out there (laughs) that people think asmr is sexual yeah and as a result there's this huge push in asmr being like fuck off you don't get it yeah so i think trying to sexualize asmr would be something that wouldn't be successful mm-hmm. um at least if it was very successful with some people because mm-hmm. it's cool yeah. um then there would also be those people who are like but this isn't what asmr is like mm-hmm. this person doesn't get it even mm-hmm. though you're like i experience asmr <laughs> which is why i am in a very weird domain there because yeah. my content is sexual in nature right but it's not necessarily designed for you to be like turned on by it. At least right. that's not my intent. My intent was Where to actually your content for ASMR stuff. Have, I sent I not, the link to you. How have I not seen this? I've I've been bad in not doing my research. It's okay. No worries. If you go back to my YouTube channel and you oh, just yeah. search one of the playlists, it's called Slutty Sundays. Let me make a note. I yeah. will put the Horley Virgin is mm-hmm. the person to search for on mm-hmm. YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I will just make sure to link your account so yes. people can join find you. the dislike club, please, by all means. <laughs> I'm collecting them in the opposite direction now. <laughs> you know, that's that's actually kind of brilliant. Like, um, wow, I totally misspelled virgin because I was also having a conversation and apparently my brain. If you go to playlists. Okay. And then you go to Sunday Slutty Sundays, I think it's called. <laughs> yeah. Sunday Slutty Sundays is yeah. fantastic. So then it's like, as you can tell, the video part of it, like if you actually take the time to listen to the story, it integrates, but it's not like the best visuals out there. And that's, I think, maybe a problem for some people because I almost think like they prefer if I don't have like a true visual component to it to just throw up a screenshot. But to me, like I'm the artist, I say I want to put in whatever effort I want to put in to the visuals. Right. And... If it's less than I put into, like, let's say the audio or whatever, that that's my choice. Yeah, some people do really dislike your videos. Yes, I wasn't kidding. Huh. It's it's a neat experiment, though, to just see, like, how the community's reacting and why. Do you get a lot of comments, you find? I've gotten... This, this to me, seems to be your magnum opus. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, so when they leave comments, they say nice things. But I think, too, for me, it's like, I created this mostly for myself, and the fact that anyone enjoys it at all... I think even the question of art, is it actually meant to be enjoyed, or is it meant to maybe spark questions, spark exploration? Sure, sure. and this is... I think, I think this would count as art, totally. I love that there's a quotation here. They claim men can and will fuck everything that moves. Ladies and gentlemen, the official winner of the Best Description Award. Seriously, though, it's the best description I've ever seen. Yeah, and that's one that I felt like that was actually too generous a praise because they they say that men can and will fuck anything that moves. I, like, I hardly am the first person who came up with the idea. Right. And in addition to that, it's also highly reductive of what it means to be a man. Exactly. Like, highly reductive of masculinity. But you're literally making smut, so like, yeah. who am I to judge? Well, I go in these weird directions of taking things like to the craziest ends of means to the point where sometimes even I don't know myself what's satire and what's not anymore. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. I love the, what kind of woman camps in an astrovan in the middle of nowhere with a male nudist she just met. Me, apparently. Yeah, that's my story, yeah. Yeah, And good. I put it all in my descriptions. And I had this one, I put it in a playlist format because it was a five-part series. Right. And I'm going to go back to it because I have the whole seven months of backpacking and crazy adventures that I'm going to write. Right. But the reason why it takes me so long is because this is the way I want to do it. Like, I'm sure maybe I could do some ASMR and have it be like well received like i could sure. do a different style and have it be better received yeah and also i could pump out content faster sure but i sort of like what i've developed sure and unless i come up with something completely different i want to go in that direction yeah that being said it takes me time to write everything yeah so then it just comes out sort of at the pace it comes out at. so i don't have anything resembling consistency right I only have, like, the five videos on ASMR, and then I have a whole ton of other stuff. It's about, like, my adventurous life, like, being the Horley Virgin. It's a really it. good idea to just um, try and streamline your timeline. So even yeah. if you're like, I don't produce, reproduce, like, regularly, but I know I'm going to produce 12 a year, mm -hmm. then wait until you have, like, four. Yeah. And then start publishing one a month on the same day. Like, that kind of stuff can help. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to have to do that. Like, when I did this series, what I did was I had already had everything written and recorded, and mm -hmm. then I went through a consistent, like, I think five week like back to back sure. to back and I saw that people did have like a thread that they could connect yep. but then of course once you fall off the wagon like I produced this series in 2017 produce them in seasons yeah yeah, that's a good idea. If you produce them in seasons, it won't seem like you fell off the wagon. Ah. Because then you can say, like, I will be back at it as soon as ah, season two is done. Nice. And then you can release an update every month being like, mm -hmm. oh, I did this for season two. And just, like, keep your audience, like, mm -hmm. tuned in. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, you're going to start getting engagement where, you're, where your audience is like, when is season yeah. two coming out? And, and that's actually a good place to be. Like, yeah, if yeah. people are actually bugging you for the content, it means you're doing something right. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good idea. And I think... And use Hootsuite. Like, use Hootsuite oh, yeah. to publish on Twitter and Facebook and, mm -hmm. like, Google Plus or YouTube. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. actually a, a ton of other apps, too, where you can cross-post, like, so on, good. what is it, Instagram and Pinterest and all that stuff. So yeah. I've come around to the idea. I know this. I'm, like, the worst engineer ever. Like, so behind on technology. I know that anything that you think should be invented to help your life out probably has, has already been. been invented so the yeah. multi-streaming thing can you believe it like i've had my fucking channel up for three years and only this year 2019 have i th like you know what maybe i should be multi-streaming 
<laughs> like, come on. Like, this is silly. Like, my brother had been telling me all this stuff from before. I think it's because, for me, I'm such a spontaneous creative. I just like mm. to, okay, the art's fucking spilling out of me. Whatever form it takes, right. that's the most convenient. I want to capture it, at least in some form. Because mm. the worst would be you capture it in no form, and then you're fucked. Well, I feel like I'm fucked because I lost, like, that purpose, like, that meaning like, that we were talking about earlier. Mm. So I want to get it in some form. Now it's more about refining it so that the form that it takes can be something that you could maybe monetize or have some consistency with. And that's something I'm definitely working towards. With people like you helping out, it's like so great to hear this sort of advice. Mm. Because I, I definitely think that that's probably the direction I do want to take the things in. Mm-hmm. Because I, I enjoyed it enough, I'm doing it anyways. If it just takes like that little bit of thought process or effort to make it like at least understandable to people like it doesn't have to be liked by people but it can be something where okay they see it and they'll take whatever they will from it whatever that is Mm -hmm. great yeah that's it's been a lot of fun for the asmr stuff i i really wish for you that you experience some of the brain triggers because that's my my personal favorite we can definitely talk more about that some other time because i'm definitely down to collaborate and think it'd be really fun to make something speaking of which we probably still have time to do one more if you want to do some kind of collaboration so maybe we'll say a goodbye to our audience okay sounds good bye so how did you like it intimates leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash victor salmon Both communities are easy to find from IntimatePodcast.com, so what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.